When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Overruled, the nothing personal word of the day for Tuesday, May 3rd, 2022, is overruled. Last night, we were all going about our night, maybe watching some basketball, watching from baseball, not thinking that this would be the day that we would remember that would be in the history books, the day that marked the end of Roe versus Wade, the Supreme Court case, which along with another case, gave the right to women to choose the right to abortion. Yesterday, a 98-page draft Supreme Court opinion authored by Justice Alito was leaked to Politico, and Politico gave you the entire 98 pages to read. I want to take a minute, fast forward at your peril, to talk about what happened what is happening, and what's going to happen, and ask you a very simple question, where do you stand? When the Supreme Court decides to take a case, you don't just, by happenstance, get before the Supreme Court. They have to grant you, it's called cert, which means that you apply to the Supreme Court and say, listen, I think we have an issue here where there is lack of clarity in the country. There's lack of clarity in the district courts and the circuit courts. There's lack of direction in Congress. On an issue, please help me solve this issue. The Supreme Court does not take all cases, not even close to all cases. There's a case in Mississippi which we have detailed on this show in a previous episode, which basically is another attempt to overturn the rights protected by Roe versus Wade, which was a case in 1973. The Supreme Court decided to hear the case, they heard the oral arguments, and we expected a decision to come out in June or July. That is when all of the decisions from the term are released, strategically by the way. They're like movie studio heads figuring out when to release what. The way it works is that each Supreme Court justice has a clerk. They have many clerks. And they decide. They split who's going to write the 
opinion, the majority opinion. They talk about it, they write an opinion, then they figure out who's on what side, what the decision's gonna be, then it's a draft because it goes to all the other people on the majority. Whatever the issue is, if, the, if it's gonna be five, four, six, three, seven, two, it's five, four to block. Paul, that's it, that's all you need. But let's say it's six, three, seven, two, eight, one, nine, nothing, doesn't matter. So someone is assigned to write an opinion, they write an opinion, clerks write the opinion, but the justices certainly are involved, to say the least. Then it goes to the other members of the court on the majority side. Meanwhile, on the minority side, there's something called a dissenting opinion. A dissenting opinion is a detailed description why the majority opinion is not correct. There's something in law called stare decisis. There's something in law called precedent. Precedent is what courts look to. Hey, I'm not sure what to do now. What was done before? And then lawyers say, well, before there's 10 differences to now. So while I wouldn't have won before, I should win now. But either way, courts look to the past as an indicator of the future. Ideas and concepts contained in the dissenting opinion can also be looked at, at by future Supreme Court justices, by future courts in future decisions. But the majority opinion has in it what's called the holding of the case. The holding of the case is the topic sentence for those of you in school, it is, this is what matters. Read everything because it's all important and it can all be touched on by future litigators. But the holding, that's the law. That's what we're saying. So there was a leak last night of this 98 page opinion and all of a sudden the world changed and it took me a minute. I really had no words because I never believed that even a court that was so stacked and that had become so political, I did not believe that a court would overturn Roe v. Wade. What overturning Roe v. Wade will do is give back the right to choose to the states. It doesn't make abortion illegal. People make that mistake, and now you won't. What the Supreme Court is deciding in this case does not take away the right of a woman to get an abortion hard stop. It gives the lawmakers of each of the 50 states the right to take away a woman's freedom of choice. There's about 28, 29, 30 states ready to go right now. The governor of San Diego, of San Diego the governor of South Dakota, cut that coca, I want this to be smooth, okay? 469. The governor of South Dakota came out immediately saying, we're ready to go. We've got a law ready to be passed, which will take away a woman's right. Other governors said, like the governor of New York said, we will always be a safe haven. It's as though there's going to be abortion tourism now, where states will advertise, we do abortions in this state, we don't do abortions in this state. There will be doctors in states where abortions are illegal who will be committing illegal abortions. There will be women who will do back alley abortions. We are moving back 
backwards in this country. Every other country is moving forwards in terms of rights and equality, and we are moving backwards, which is unbelievable. I would like the conservative right, if possible, to care as much about born people as they do about those inside a woman's womb. I would like for conservative people to care more about the benefits and what happens to those once they are born and have that be just as meaningful to them as taking away a woman's right to choose. I've been pretty clear. My point of view is I am not pro-abortion and I'm not anti-abortion. I'm extremely pro-choice. Pro-choice means that I believe a woman should have the right under the Constitution to choose what happens to her body. When a Supreme Court opinion gets leaked in advance, it is worth discussing. On this show, we have discussed why we do leaks in the world of sports, which seems so meaningless to me right now. But in the world of sports, we do leaks for two reasons, mostly. One, trial balloon. Two, to try to figure out where the pockets of discontent are going to be and address those before the actual news comes out. Another tertiary reason is that we're trying to figure out exactly whether or not we can pave the road to what we know is going to happen. Leaks are purposeful. The right is claiming today that there is purposeful leaking going on by someone on the dissenting side of the court. I don't know. Are you sure it's not the right? Are you sure it's not Alito himself who wants to get the country ready, who wants people to have a moment to get the protests out, to get lawmakers ready to go, both sides, whichever sides you may be? Maybe there was a purposeful leak in order for everyone to understand the importance of midterm elections, huh? Midterm elections? What do midterm elections have to do with this leaked Supreme Court opinion? The right to choose. Abortion has not become illegal due to the overturning of Roe v. Wade. When you decide to vote or not to vote, if you have attained the age of 18, you are complicit in whatever happens in the place where you live, both any economic policies, stadium financing policies, women's right to choose policies, on and on and on. Because did you know that if your local government, your state government, the reps that you vote for that you've never heard of, that you look at the ballot and don't bother to vote for because you don't even know what they do. They sit there, whether it's in Tallahassee or Albany, you say, well, that doesn't really impact my life. They are the ones who will now be in charge on a state-by-state -state basis on what laws they want to pass. Six weeks, a fetus is viable. No abortion after six weeks. Ah, let's make it 15. Ah, forget the Casey case. We don't need to worry about time anymore because this Mississippi case has made it clear where they were only arguing about 15 weeks in the case before the Supreme Court and the draft opinion not just says, forget the number of weeks, we are getting rid of the entire Roe v. Wade and Casey case and we are giving it back to the states because 
This is a politically divisive subject. There is nothing in the Constitution that gives a woman this right. There is no due process right for a woman to have an abortion. Therefore, as a conservative court, as a conservative majority, what that means is states have more rights than federal government. In the absence of federal government, there's another possibility. In our world of government, do you know that right now, Congress, the U.S. Congress, could codify Roe v. Wade as law for the land. They could make, because federal laws trump state laws, there could be a federal law that says women have a constitutional right or doesn't even have to be constitutional. They could actually just pass a law that say there is a right to abortion. Abortions are legal. And if Congress does that, guess what happens to the Supreme Court case? The entire majority opinion would have to be ripped up, rewritten, because when there is a applicable law that is very easy to interpret, the Supreme Court must follow that law. The Supreme Court doesn't make laws. They interpret laws. The Supreme Court doesn't write laws. They tell the lawmakers and those who do write laws whether they have followed the Constitution, whether they have written laws legally. You need 60 members of the Senate to codify Roe and GTH. There are not 60 votes in the Senate. There are going to be ways that you hear over the next weeks that say how we could do it. We could do away with the filibuster. We can figure out how we're going to count to 60. Simply not going to happen. But there is time for states to decide on which side they're going to sit, but there's not much mystery because we already know. I want to take a minute and go back to the leak and ask you, who do you think leaked this? Is it unprecedented? No, it's unbelievable. Previously, I'd say five times, there was a leak during the Watergate, during Watergate when the Supreme Court had to look into convictions for those implicated in Watergate back in the early 70s, there was a leak. There was a justice, Roe v. Wade justice was Warren Berger. He was, he was a little bit like, uh, like I was when it comes to leaks. I spent so much time trying to find leaks in our organization, setting up different pieces of information to give to different people, figuring out what went public, looking at phone records, figuring out who was calling who, when, which media was being called, and how quickly that media member ran with a story that was either right or wrong. Because leaks are dangerous when they're not controlled by me. It sounds Machiavellian, doesn't it? So Warren Berger spent a lot of time trying to figure out who was leaking. The New York Times got stuff. The Washington Post got stuff back in the day, back in the 70s. There were leaks all the way back in the early 1900s. There have just been leaks. So it's not unprecedented. Everyone back then thought it could have been a law clerk. It could have been someone in the copy room. It could be Colonel Mustard with a hammer in the library. You just don't know. And it's going to be very difficult, try as they may, to figure out because, in my opinion, both sides have a reason to leak because it is critical that everybody is prepared with what we're going to do. What are you going to do? 
Are you a one-issue voter? Do you know what a one-issue voter is? One-issue voters are those who go to the ballot box and they only look to, excuse me, what is your view on raising my taxes? Oh, you don't want to raise my taxes? I vote for you. Excuse me, what is your vote on Israel? Israel is a popular one-issue for for many voters, for one-issue voters. What is your view on the Second Amendment? So there are many people who are one-issue voters. How many of you are one-issue voters on abortion? How many of you who don't have a dog in the fight, if you don't have daughters, if you don't have children, if you're not a woman, if you're not of age where you're going to need it, are you willing to go against other things that you believe in in order to protect for people coming after you, for women coming after you? If you're a man, what's your interest? So when you decide what you're going to do about it, the first step is you're going to register to vote, right? The second step is you're going to try to figure out what candidates stand for. And the third step is you're going to hope the candidates who stand for what you believe in are voted into office and then actually execute those things that were on their platform. And there's another problem. How many times are politicians voted into office and then all of a sudden, eh, I'm not so sure I'm on that train anymore. I've got bigger fish to fry like my own re-election. My proposal today is nothing to do with pro-choice or anti-abortion. My proposal is based on campaign finance reform, an angle that you will not hear on Fox, CNN, MSNBC. No one's going to talk about that today. Why does campaign finance reform mean so much to me? Because I was up all night. That's not extraordinary. Couldn't sleep, decisions I've made, things I'm doing, things I'm thinking, trying to figure out the best way to communicate to you today, wondering how I could even do a show that mentions sports when this is happening. And I went all the way down through a decision tree. You know how my brain works, where I'm taking what exists I'm understanding what I can't change, and I'm thinking about the possibility of addressing an issue from a completely different angle, which will get me to the result that I want to get to. Campaign finance reform is something that has to do with re-election. It has to do with how much money politicians can get from how many, from which sources, how much money you can get from an individual, how much money you can get from political action committees. Money that is used to get either elected or reelected. Money that is used for advertising, for commercials, for travel, for name recognition, to shake as many hands as possible. Politicians spend an overwhelming majority of their time getting reelected. The day they are elected, they're running for reelection. When they are trying to take over from an incumbent, they know that they don't have, they call it a war chest. If they don't have a large enough war chest, they won't have a chance. If they don't have the proper ability to get their name out there, because the majority of people who vote, they look for recognition of a name in the ballot box, or they don't go to the ballot box, or when they do go to the ballot box, they're looking at a name and saying, is that R, is that D, is that I, is that L? And I'm gonna go right down the line. So all of these different political parties are trying to get you on board, but they're also fractured that so many of us are in the middle 
there are very few people who are progressive. The progressive caucus on the left, the progressive caucus on the right, they're the outliers. Remember the standard deviation that we talked about, the bell curve? The majority of people rest somewhere in between. Campaign finance reform would make it so that everybody is on the same financial playing field. It is federally funded, that is my proposal, where every candidate gets X dollars, but the incumbent gets X plus Y. And the reason I'm willing to give the incumbent X plus Y is the only way I'm gonna get the votes is if the incumbents have the advantage because the reason incumbents will never vote for campaign finance reform is that they know that's the reason they get reelected. And at the end of the day, that's what they want. There's one way to address with lack of campaign finance reform, and that is part two of my plan, term limits. Term limits for everybody. Life appointments should be only in existence when lifespan was 50. The Supreme Court lifetime appointments means that there are people on the court for 40 years until they're octogenarians. Why is it that we have term limits for presidents? What do you think the original reason was that term limits started? Any thoughts, any ideas? Anyone wanna tell me? What's your argument against term limits? Is your argument that, hey, if, the, if it's the will of the people, if the people want the same person year after year, decade after decade, that's a good thing. That means that person must be doing well. No. What term limits mean, or the lack of term limits, is that you've got people in office who are so in, in concrete, I was going to say ensconced in concrete, and I think that's a mixed metaphor, that they have no reason to ever fear an opponent because no one's going to run against them, or her, or them. But what if we did the same thing that I want to do in sports? Everybody's a free agent every year why are players scared of being free agents every year because then they've got to perform every year you don't get paid for past performance you get paid for current performance you don't get paid for future future performance you get paid for what you are doing now what if politicians were held to that same standard where they had no choice but to actually govern, where they had the time, the ability, the desire, and they knew that they could do what they thought was right, they could do what they were brought into politics to do, and didn't have to sit through $250 a plate dinners, didn't have to spend time shaking hands, making calls. Every time I get a call from a politician, I won't give. Go be a politician, govern, stop calling me on the phone. How scared are we as a country? I think about that, I thought about it last night. There's gonna be protests today. There's gonna be people standing their ground on both sides of the abortion issue, on the right, on the left. There's gonna be people angry angry about the leak, angry about the decision. There's gonna be people, lawmakers, Republicans who are excited to finally have the rights as a state. There's gonna be people on the left side saying we've gotta hurry up and codify before the Supreme Court issues this decision. And they're all missing the ball. They're missing the main point.
And the main point is there are five ways that we can change. Five ways to avoid exactly what happened today. Did you pay attention? Are you willing to start? Do you remember what part one was? Step one, register to vote. As I conclude this segment and head toward a break, I would encourage everybody, everybody, to read the 98-page draft opinion, which could go through changes. I am not willing to comment on the opinion until I read the final opinion. There will be changes, some subtle, potentially not so subtle, from the 98-page draft opinion to the final opinion. It will be critical to read whether or not the four paragraphs leaked, the 98 pages leaked, the entire opinion, which just overrules everything blanket, which seems completely to overstep what actually was before the court in the Mississippi case. We will wait to see what it actually says before commenting on the constitutionality of it because there could be a constitutionally sound argument for their decision. I would never tell you that just because I disagree with it doesn't mean that there is a constitutional basis for this decision. So we will wait for the final in the next month or two. But in the meantime, as you take stock of your position and those around you, and you decide whether you're going to dig in further, whatever your position is, whether you're going to decide that there's no discourse that interests you, it's only the conclusion that interests you, whether you decide that none of it matters because you don't get it. Today's the day you can change that. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. We still have moments on this show. We have about 20 minutes left. Stay with me. We've got a bunch of things to get through. It all seems rather not important at the moment. But guess what? If it's important to me and important to you, we're going to keep talking about it. And if it's important to me on a random Tuesday, not for the first 20 minutes of the show, we got to get to it. Still watched a movie. Do you remember Deadpool, the taxi, the taxi driver in the beginning of Deadpool, who gets a crisp high five because Deadpool forgot his wallet? His name is Karen Sony. He stars in a new movie called Seven Days with Geraldine Viswanathan. Seven Days is a, it's, it's not a Bollywood movie at all, actually, to me. It's a, it's a, it's a Hollywood movie about two people who are trying to figure out whether or not arranged marriage works because in Indians, when they are, their parents basically arrange their marriages. They meet people and then within seven days, you're married. And then you either fall in love or don't, but most people fall in love, stay in love, learn to love, figure that's the love they deserve or the love they're gonna get, figure there's no other way to go. Some get divorced, but not many. Younger people, this generation deciding, is that really the right way? And there's some people who still believe it is. Some people who believe, hey, I need more than seven days. It's too complicated. So there was a movie called, 
with uh, Miles Teller. What was that movie, Coca, when they got snowed in and they were on a first date and they ended up being together for five days? Uh, two Nights. Two Nights Stand. Go watch Two Nights Stand. That's a great movie. But Seven Days is even better. Seven Days is written in a way that you will find to be somewhat predictable, except the journey will still be joyous. So the equivalent to that is if you go to work every day or you commute or you take the same walk to walk your kids to school, do you ever notice different things about your walk or do you look at the same things every time? Do you ever take a different route to get to where you're going just to see something different? Or do you ever take stock of something different when you're doing the same thing over and over every day? Do you ever walk by something, there's a statue of someone and you say, God, I've never stopped to look who that's a statue of. God, I never even noticed that statue. How many of you run around Central Park and say, Fred Lebo, come on, where's that? Seven Days is that kind of movie. It's a movie where the journey is so wonderful if you just stop to pay attention and realize that while it's formulaic and you can sort of imagine where it's going, but if you do not take the time to enjoy the way it gets there, you will have ruined your opportunity. Don't ruin your opportunity. Seven days, well worth your time. 60 Days is another movie. It's a movie that was written by Roger Goodell. It was written by Mary Jo White. 60 days is the amount of time that it took for the NFL to come out and say, we have reviewed Hugh Jackson's allegations against the Cleveland Browns, and we have no idea what he's talking about. Totally unsubstantiated. Didn't happen. As you may recall, Hugh Jackson, after Brian Flores filed his lawsuit against the NFL for discrimination, racial discrimination, trying to get black coaches more opportunities, minority coaches more opportunities, second opportunities, trying to make sure that the NFL changes its ways. And then through a bomb that ended up getting the majority of the focus, which was, hey, by the way, Stephen Ross, my owner, gave me 100K per loss. The NFL's tentacles went up because the NFL doesn't care about the color of coaches. They could have 32 white coaches. They don't care. If you didn't care as a public or there weren't people actually putting their feet to the fire, the NFL really doesn't care. Roger Goodell tries to take care of any issue by saying, we're the NFL. We don't have to take care of issues. We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to do the right thing. The right thing is that we're going to keep collecting money and sponsorships. We are a machine. We are a transformer. We will roll over you. Optics? Optics? No, not in the NFL. But this Steve Ross thing got quite a bit of attention. And then Hugh Jackson, the erstwhile coach of the Cleveland Browns, current coach of Graveling State, said, by the way, Jimmy and D Haslam, yes, the Haslams. Yeah, the Haslams in Cleveland. Yeah, you know who they are. Yeah, we, uh, they didn't want to win. They were trying to lose. Told me to lose. Made it so we had to lose. Now the NFL said, all right, we're going to do a quick investigation. In the release from Roger Goodell, in the article about completing this investigation and announcing to the world that there's nothing to see here, they didn't speak to Hugh Jackson. Now, Hugh Jackson did back off the majority of his statements. But I'm just throwing it out there that when you are investigating something and you are investigating something that someone has said happened, 
How exactly do you do that without speaking to the someone who said that something happened? In what world is it okay to investigate what Hugh Jackson alligated? That's not a word. Four, six, nine. In what world is it okay to investigate Hugh Jackson's allegations and say, yeah, we're ready to give our conclusion and we didn't speak to Hugh Jackson? Don't you have more credibility when you do speak to Hugh Jackson? Is this the beginning of how they are setting the table for finding the Miami Dolphin claims to be unsubstantiated? It is critical to the NFL that nobody is throwing games because of gambling. It is critical to the NFL that no one is throwing games because of money. That's it. I didn't say it's critical that no one's throwing games because of competitive integrity. I didn't say it's critical that no one's throwing games because little kids are out there loving football and want to see their team win or lose and want to believe that all players are trying as hard as they can and that there's no problem anywhere. I didn't say that. I've spent many a time talking to players and I've told you that if 50% of players care about winning, that would be a lot. The whole gambling situation with football and basketball and baseball has gotten to a point where we knew it would get to, like NILs. Everyone's so shocked. By the way, detour, Coca. Everyone's so shocked. Oh, my God, people are going to different schools because they're getting higher offers. Like all these college players are free agents. We covered this on a recent show. Yeah, you couldn't see that? If you're in a place where the sun rises, you can bet your bippy that the sun's gonna set. Even if you have a fake Twitter video that says it happens super quickly and it happens over 30 seconds with the moon. When you are paying players in college, they're free agents, they're gonna go to where the money is. When you allow gambling on games, there is a risk that there are going to be those who take advantage of information. Why is it that everyone is so careful? Why is it that all of these sports books are paying so much attention and taking bets off the board and looking at trends and trying to figure out who's gaming the system, who's got access to information that they shouldn't have, who's not giving information in the proper way? The Phoenix Suns were fined 25 grand because they didn't properly disclose or discuss Devin Booker's injury and his availability for a game six of the last playoff round he plays for the Phoenix Suns. He's that Kardashian guy. They didn't possibly disclose it correctly. And the NBA said, well, that's a real problem. Why? Competitively? I've been on the other side of thousands of games. I don't really care who's injured, who's not. Oh, you're not going to start the starting pitcher? Fine, who you starting? We'll be ready. We'll lace them up. Oh, you're going to change out your right fielder? This bullpen guy's not available, is available, arm hurts, doesn't hurt. I don't care. Football and basketball, oh, they care. Oh, they care a lot because of the betting lines. That's why the NBA is finding teams. So the NFL is very concerned that the consumers, you, will keep spending your money because they want every dollar you have. Because when you're done with all your money, guess what? There's another person with more money. You lost all your money? Sorry. You're not going to watch football games anymore? Sorry. 
you've been replaced. Heat, seven and a half over the Sixers. How's that segue to gambling? <laughs> Why do we do this, Coca? We do the nothing personal pick of the day because you guys want picks. I like giving picks. I just don't care who's injured or not. I'm going to give you a pick because I think I know who's going to win the game and how the games are going to go. Who didn't take the Heat minus seven and a half over the Sixers? Were you too scared? Were you too worried that James Harden was some James Harden of yesteryear? Eric Spolster, the coach of the Heat, said, we are studying tape of James Harden as a rocket because without Embiid, we believe that James Harden will be what he was with Houston, the top offensive juggernaut in the league. James Harden is on the tail end, folks. He's a name. He's a beard. He's not a championship player. Sixers got crushed by a better team. We are 56-42. and 42. I hate to say anything against my Milwaukee Bucks, who I'm rooting for. Do you know that when, just FYI, that when the lines are being made, that they take into account your heart? Because the majority of people bet with their heart, not their head, which is why casinos are so nice, which is why all of these betting platforms and gambling platforms make so much money hand over fist and don't know what to do with it except to pay talent. That's why lines for New York teams in New York are always a little different. Because, hey, why would I want to watch a game and cheer against my favorite team? Why are the Celtics only giving four and a half to the Bucks? You think the Bucks are going into Boston and winning two games? NGTH. That's the pick of the day. Celtics four and a half over the Bucks. My heart says I want the Bucks to win, but I want to get to 57 and 42 because we've been pretty hot. How many more players are going to take steroids and deny they took it? Aren't you tired of it? Because I am. Had enough. I want to talk about DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm going to talk about him in the same breath that I talk about Robinson Cano. Two bits of news yesterday Robinson Cano is gone from the New York Mets. Robinson Cano signed a 10 year deal with the Seattle Mariners for about 200 and what, $40 million. The Mariners traded him to the Mets back when their agent, Brody Van Wagenen, was the GM, and they got Robinson Cano and Edwin Diaz from the Mariners for Jared Kelenic. I bet they'd like to have that entire trade back, by the way, to say the least. Robinson Cano was suspended 80 games for steroids several years ago, and last year was suspended the entire year because he tested positive for a different steroid. Robinson Cano take steroids. Robinson Cano is trying to hold on to his career, trying to be the productive second baseman that he was, although I could argue he's been doing steroids his whole career, but it doesn't matter. He's tested positive twice. He tests positive again, lifetime ban. Robinson Cano, when the rosters had to be reduced yesterday from 28 to 26 players, was taken off the Mets. Everyone was sad. Such a good player in the clubhouse. Such a shining example of a player. If I'm owning a team or president of a team, I don't want Robinson Cano as who my young players are looking up to. What's he handing out? Is there a needle exchange? Yeah, that's right, Robbie. I'm talking to you directly. You're going to be an example to young players when you can't play a game without taking steroids, when you know that you're going to take, or the fact that your scheme, your doping scheme, your way to hide it wasn't good enough, or are you going to be the type of player like DeAndre Hopkins test positive, get suspended, and will go to the mat, like my friend D. Gordon and others, who go to the mat saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. Never did it. 
This is absurd. I had a stomach ache. I had diarrhea. It was exactly over the counter. No way of knowing. My doctor told me to take it. I've heard every excuse in the book. These players treat their bodies like temples. Every one of them. Their body is their life. That's how they make their money. So anytime a player says to you, I'm stunned. I don't have the first idea. This question you should ask is, in addition to the fact that it is complete horse hockey, the question you should ask is, why didn't they appeal? If they didn't take anything, they didn't put a needle in their ass, appeal. Hmm. Do you know why players don't appeal when they've been banged for steroids? When they've done steroids. DeAndre Hopkins had a statement that was just too good to be true. Too good. In my 10-year NFL career, I've never tested positive for using performance-enhancing drugs. One second. Let me take a minute here. Let me give you a suggestion on the first thing that you should say in a statement if you are innocent. In my 10-year NFL career, I have never taken performance-enhancing drugs. Why would you say, in my 10-year NFL career, I have never tested positive for using performance-enhancing drugs? I'm just asking, DeAndre, and your agent, and your PR crisis management team, why wouldn't you start it with, in my 10-year career, I never took steroids? But he went on. To learn that my November test came back with trace elements of a banned substance, I was confused and shocked. Hmm, interesting adjectives. Why would you be shocked when you test positive for something that you know you did? <gasps> because the masking agent didn't work and it's been working for your whole 10 years. Shocking. I'm very confused. I have a complete roster. <clears throat> a big roster of players and doctors, not players. God damn it, Coca. Four, six, nine. Confused. I'm very confused because I have a big roster of doctors whose sole job is to make sure that I don't test positive. And then he continues. I'm very mindful of what I put in my body and I've always taken a holistic approach. What in the hell is that? I can't stand when people say, I take a holistic approach to medicine. Are you gonna cure me or not? So I'm working with my team to investigate how this could have happened. That's called an appeal. But even as careful as I've been, wait, <gasps> wait a minute. But even as careful as I have been, clearly I wasn't careful enough. Wow. Epic. He wasn't careful enough for what? It cut off. The statement cut off, Coca. I wasn't careful enough to take it before my test and have it out of my system. I wasn't careful enough to use someone else's urine that particular moment. I wasn't careful enough. Do you know that every substance given to you by your team doctor and team trainer will guarantee that you will never test positive? Are you aware of that to every player in Major League Baseball and the National Football League? Are you? How many times do I have to tell you? We will give you whatever substance you want and we will guarantee it does not contain even a trace of something that will cause you to test positive because if by chance, you appeal.
He said, I fully intend to get to the bottom of this. The bottom of what? The bottom of what you took? The bottom of your holistic approach going haywire? But the Hopkins camp couldn't leave it. Couldn't leave it. They had to have their agent talk too. So they're trying the two-prong approach. I like that. It's the two-prong PR approach. You have to let the agent talk, but you also let the player talk. Then you hope to God you can get testimonials from another player or another team. The players have learned they're not going to get testimonials from their own team because their own team has to do a statement, which is they are in support of the Joint Drug Prevention Program and Act. They fully support the suspension and call on all players and nobody to take steroids. But the agent in this case said, Today, the NFL announced their decision to suspend DeAndre Hopkins as a result of a November drug test that came back with trace elements of banned substance. DeAndre and everyone who works with him is completely shocked by this finding because he is extremely diligent about what he puts in his body. Does this sound familiar? Does this not sound like exactly DeAndre Hopkins' statement? <gasps> Did they do their statements together? Yes! He has never once tested positive throughout his 10-year career. Huh, we've heard that before. And then we get to the end of the statement, and this is my favorite. I like when agents do this. We are currently testing every product he used to figure out how this could have happened and will release any new information as soon as we have it. <laughs> hey, DeAndre, I'm going to need your deodorant. And then after that, if you don't mind, can I take any lubricants or anything else you may use? I'm going to want to know what you, anything you may put in your hair, anything you put on your, what lotion to use lotion to keep your skin dry, uh, not dry. And come on. It's outrageous. Wait to see is when we tell you something's going to happen. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. Either way, we're going to revisit it. You may have read yesterday that Shohei Otani is hurt. Shohei Otani was running to first base, running the bases. He felt a little pull in his groin. Whenever a player says, I felt a little pull in my groin, pulled groins are bad. But if you're a position player and you're not a speed player, you could play through that or take, take a few days off. But when you're a pitcher and you have a problem with your groin, we do not let you pitch. The reason we do not let you pitch is your groin, believe it or not, is very important to pitching a baseball, because if you cannot plant your legs in a certain way because it hurts too much, you're going to plant your legs in a different way, and then you're going to hurt your shoulder and your elbow. So while Joe Madden, the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim, said, yeah, we'd like him to pitch against the Red Sox. We think this could only be a day. They are going to hold him back. Wait to see Shohei Otani will not start at all against the Red Sox. They have got to make sure that groin injury is completely taken care of. If he were not a two-way player, it would be different. They continue to play him two ways regardless of the struggles he's having because the Angels are not struggling. But they've got to be conservative very conservative when it comes to groins. Hey, that's actually a good life lesson. They've got a lot invested in Mr. Otani. So they looked at his groin, they looked at him and said, hey, sorry, you're not pitching in Fenway. That's our show today. Thank you for getting through it. Thank you for listening all the way through it and for deciding for yourself where you stand on myriad issues. It's just business. This is nothing personal. 
Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.